Sikhs, Hindus, New Agers, Muslims, and Christians will all readily say there is only one God. Do they all mean the same thing, or do they mean things distinctly different from each other? Find out on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar, and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I love seekers of truth in all religions. I relate to those who are groping through the darkness and deception of this world to find things of eternal value. I especially relate to Sikhs and Hindus because at one point in my life, back in 1970, when I was a teacher of Kundalini Yoga at four universities, I delved into the depth of what Sikhs and Hindus believe. So I understand their mindset and their heart set. And I love to talk to them when I'm in, say, a motel that's run by a Hindu or a convenience store that's managed by a Hindu. I often enter into a conversation with them. And if I ever say something like, have you ever encountered the Lord Jesus Christ? Invariably, I will get the response, there is only one God. That is just about across the board, 100% of the time, what Hindus and Sikhs and New Agers will say. There is only one God. In fact, Muslims will say that. Christians will say that. Jews will say that. Do they all mean the same thing, or are they using that one phrase to mean things that are distinctly different? To make that statement universalizes all religions. There's over 4,000 religions in the world, according to one estimate. Could they all be speaking of and describing the same God? Is that even possible? There's such diverse belief systems and so many different interpretations of the Godhead in those thousands of religions It's not even logical that they could be agreeable on that important subject, which is the nature of God, the uh, way God acts and interacts with human beings. So let's explore this. First of all, I need to say that not all religions even believe in a creator God. For instance, Buddhism is basically atheistic. The universe was not created by God. It was the product of cause and effect in that belief system. Jainism, another Eastern religion, also does not acknowledge a sovereign and supreme creator being. And so right from the start, uh, if we say there is only one God as if to put a universal hedge around all religions and bind them all together is impossible because not all of them even believe in God as a supreme being, as a creator. Often when you talk to New Agers or Hindus or Sikhs, they resort to two analogies that are very commonly spoken. 
And one is that there are many paths leading to the same mountain peak. That you may take the road of Buddhism or Hinduism or Sikhism or Jainism or Shinto. It doesn't really matter. They all lead to the same ultimate reality. And if it's depicted in art, you see many roads leading to one singular mountain peak. Is that even possible or logical? Because the path to salvation or liberation or enlightenment is termed different ways in different religions involves so many different things, so many different approaches. How could they all lead to the same place? And of course, that place would have to be a relationship with ultimate reality. And then the other analogy that's used quite often is the analogy of a king who brought in a bunch of blind men and positioned them around an elephant and asked them to describe that elephant. And of course, they all had different descriptions. One grabbed the trunk of the elephant, another grabbed the leg, another one felt the underbelly, another one grabbed the tail. And so their descriptions of the animal were completely different and unknown to them because they were blind, which of course relates to the idea of spiritual blindness in the human race. They had different ideas about the nature of what they were feeling and touching, and yet they were all describing the same thing. And quite often, Hindus use that analogy to try and prove that there's one God just being described in numerous ways through numerous religions. Well, let's find out what this statement, there is only one God, really means by inspecting four religions. I'm going to go with Sikhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity. Two of those are really talking about an all-inclusive idea, and the other two are talking about an exclusive idea, but they're not in agreement with each other. Because when a Hindu or a Sikh says there is only one God, they mean that All religions have different interpretations of the nature of God, but it's really the same source that flows upward and through all religious expressions. It's the same God that they're worshiping, even though they have different concepts concerning his nature and concerning his way of acting and reacting with human beings. When you get to Islam, very definitely a Muslim will say there is only one God but that God is exclusive, or in other words, excluding all other interpretations of God. Only the Islamic interpretation is correct. And then, of course, Christians will say there is only one God. But what do they all mean by that statement? Christianity and Islam is an exclusive concept. Hinduism and Sikhism is an inclusive concept. So let's dig into it deeper. First with Sikhism. It's very unique the way a Sikh envisions uh, this particular concept because a Sikh will believe that anyone can address God with any name or any kind of concept concerning the myths surrounding that God and that basically they're talking to the same being. They're addressing the same being. 
It's just veiled in different stories and different descriptions and different theology, but it's all the same God. And that's unique to Sikhism. Uh, Let me give you a couple of quotes. Guru Nanak, who founded Sikhism, who lived around uh, the latter part of the 15th century, beginning of the 16th century, said there is no Hindu and there is no Muslim. In other words, we're all lovers of God. And in one of their prayers, it's called Kirtan, K-I-R-T-A-N, it's an evening prayer. There's a line that says there is but one capital O, referencing God. There is but one, though your forms be unnumbered, guru of gurus, creator of all. And of course, that's a reference to God being the guru of gurus. And the word guru just means teacher. So they're saying the most high, God Almighty is the teacher of all teachers, which is true in a correct theological sense. But that statement is very telling. There is but one, though your forms be unnumbered. In other words, it's all right for different religions to describe God in different ways, different forms of religious expression, and yet it's all just the same God. The fifth guru, Arjun, uh, said this, the fifth guru of Sikhism, He said, my body and my breath belong to Allah and to Ram, the God of both. And he's referring to the Muslim God, the concept of God referred to as Allah. And he's referring to an individual Hindu God, Ram, who was the seventh incarnation of Vishnu, according to their belief system. And I won't go into a description of how that could be or what that means. Uh, But basically, he's saying if you're a Hindu worshiper of Ram or if you're a Muslim worshiper of Allah, you're worshiping the same God. He said, my body, this guru, this head of Sikhism, the fifth guru said, my body and breath belong to Allah and to Ram, legitimizing both approaches and saying that both were the same. See, Guru Nanak was a very interesting individual who traveled with a Muslim musician and singer all over the East and promoted the idea that the God of the Muslims and the God of the Hindus is the same God. And he was desperately, passionately trying to unify these two religions. And I believe that was an attempt on his part to be tolerant and kind and gentle and promote love, and all of those are good things, but not to the compromising of the truth, not at the expense of compromising the truth. And usually that's the motivation behind any Hindu that will say there is only one God, or any Sikh that will say there is only one God. It's usually an attempt to... to uh, to create an atmosphere of love and acceptance and gentleness and kindness and tolerance uh, between different religious expressions. And I can see the value of that, but once again, not at the expense of the truth. I believe we can all share what we believe to be true and still love one another and be peaceful with one another. Differing in belief doesn't make it necessary to be hostile and arrogant. I think we should all strive to communicate 
And even if we have different opinions, show love to one another. And that is an achievable thing. It really is an achievable thing. Now let's go to Hinduism. When a Hindu says there is only one God, it's a little bit different. Well, actually, pronouncedly different than the Sikh version of that statement. Because a Hindu believes that these personal gods like Ram and Krishna and Indra, Vishnu, Shiva, etc., are all actual individual deities. The traditional number in Hinduism is 330 million gods and goddesses. And so they believe that all of these are separate beings and individual personalities. However, they all stream from the same source. Now, not all Hindus believe exactly this way, but a little over 50% believe in what is called Advaita Vedanta Hinduism. And in that branch of Hinduism, they believe that all these deities stream from the same source, and that is Brahman. And Brahman is envisioned to be an impersonal life force, a cosmic level of consciousness out of which all these numerous millions of deities are brought forth, but they're all sourced in the same thing. And that's this impersonal energy, this level of consciousness called Brahman. And because of that, because the source is the same, they believe in the statement, there is only one God, that the foundation of it all is unified, even though the expressions are diversified. Okay, now let's get to the Muslim. A Muslim will readily say, quickly, and passionately declare, there is only one God, but the Muslim does not mean that in a unifying way, but absolutely separating Islam from every other religion. The daily profession of faith, which is called Shahada in the Muslim faith, is there is only one God. Uh, there, there is only one God. His name is Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. And, uh, and because of that, they, they conceive of God being apart from the universe, separate from physical creation, and absolutely one. In fact, uh, in the Muslim faith, one of the worst sins you can commit is called shirk, which is attributing divinity to anything or anyone other than Allah. And so, for a Christian, say, for instance, to say Jesus was God manifested in the flesh is utter blasphemy and heresy to a Muslim because we attribute divinity to one they would consider only a prophet and only a man. Of course, Jesus was more than a man. He was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit um, created that body for him to dwell in, and he was God manifested in the flesh. Strangely, the Quran teaches that Mary was a virgin and that the Holy Spirit created that body of Jesus in her womb, breathing him into existence, and yet they still attribute just humanity to him, that he's just a human being, just a prophet, not God manifested in the flesh as we would 
as Christians. Now, when we, as followers of Jesus, say there is only one God, we mean something different than the Muslim, different than the Hindu, different than the Sikh. We believe there is only one God that has this triune makeup. The Godhead is different in Christianity than any other religion. It is comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God. You don't find that anywhere else in any other belief system. It's unique to Christianity, to the pure form of Christianity. Of course, some offshoots of Christianity may have an altered belief in that, but true Christianity promotes the concept that these three parts of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are absolutely one God. Very interesting. So we're saying something completely different. And I think the only way to resolve the issue is to explain to a Hindu, to explain to a Sikh, that yes, I agree with you. And usually I try to start with an agreeable attitude. I'll say, yes, I agree with you. There is only one God. But let me use an analogy to show you what I really mean by that. And I'll say, do you believe that there's only one planet called Earth? And um, usually they'll say, well, yeah, there's only one planet. Is there only one solar system containing the earth? And they'll agree, sure, there's only one solar system containing the earth. And I'll say, well, there have been many different beliefs, varied beliefs about the nature of that solar system, or a few major ones anyway. And one of them was promoted by Ptolemy in the second century, who said the earth was the center of the solar system and the sun revolved around the earth. That's the Ptolemaic view. Then around a thousand years later, Copernicus came along, along with other scientists, and said, no, it's a heliocentric solar system. The sun is at the center and the earth revolves around the sun. Now, they can't both be right. One has to be right at the expense of the other being wrong. And if they were striving for tolerance and gentleness and kindness between themselves, would those scientists even think about meeting in a room together if they were contemporaries and could meet? Would they even propose the idea, you can have your truth and I can have my truth about the nature of the solar system, and we can both be right? Hallelujah. Or is that absurdity? Of course, one concept is right at the expense of the other being wrong. That doesn't mean that uh, Copernicus is indulging in hate speech because he tells Ptolemy that he's wrong if they could converse with each other. Of course not. They're just proposing concepts that are extremely important and searching for the truth. And and I would urge Hindus and and Sikhs and Muslims and Buddhists and Jainists and people of every religion to consider what I say, that there's a uniqueness to Jesus, not only in his nature as God manifested in the flesh, but in the stories attached to his existence, that he was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for the sins of humanity, absorbed all the sins of the human race into himself, that 
uh, he rose from the dead three days later, as testified by his disciples. He ascended into heaven and reassumed his position as Lord of the universe. That makes him completely unique. Let me bring this to a close with a very important thought. So, let me ask the question. Are all people of all religions worshiping the same God? Is that possible? Is it possible that a Buddhist, or not a Buddhist, but a Hindu or a Muslim and a Christian and a Sikh could be worshiping the same God? Not really. They may cast worship the direction of God, but there's a difference between worshiping God and knowing God. There's a difference between loving God and understanding God. When I was a yoga teacher back in 1970, I loved God passionately to the degree where I would spend 14 hours a day in solitude striving to find God, to experience God. And I loved him with all my heart. I gave up everything. I never went to movies, never watched television, never read any fictional literature. All I did was read what was considered to be sacred literature in every religion. All I did was pray, chant mantras, involve myself in some kind of religious discipline that was supposed to bring me into oneness with God. But even though I loved God passionately, I did not know God. And in John chapter 17, Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He did not say that they may know about you, but actually have a personal and intimate connection with God. And Jesus revealed a lot in the conversation with the woman at the well. Listen to what he said to her. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. So Jesus acknowledged that the Samaritan woman was a worshiper, but she was worshiping without understanding. She didn't understand the correct methods, and she didn't understand the correct nature of God. And so there was a breach between her and the Creator that could only be bridged by understanding and by spiritual rebirth. Because Jesus said, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The only way you can worship God in spirit is to have a regenerated spirit. The Bible prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36 about this wonderful rebirth that would be available in the new covenant. Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take out of you the heart of stone out of your flesh. And and then he said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. So the prophet forecast a time when God would actually enter into people and give them a brand new spirit. You have to have that regenerated spirit to be able to worship God in spirit. And then Jesus said it's essential to worship God in truth. Well, how do you do that? seven ways. I'm only going to mention some of them by worshiping God in sincerity, 
You worship God in truth when you're sincere and authentic with God. Number two, you worship God with correct methods instead of chanting mantras or approaching him with some type of ceremony or ritual that's been devised by man. You use correct biblical methods to reach God. To worship in, in truth also demands a correct interpretation of his character, understanding not only his character, but the proper way of reaching him, the biblical pattern of true salvation, which involves receiving Jesus into your heart and becoming sons of God. And then also you can become a true worshiper by applying the truth of the Bible to your life and letting it guide your behavior. Jesus meant what he said when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That was either a statement made by an insane egomaniac or by the Savior of the world. And of course, I contend the latter is the truth. He said, I am the door, not one of many doors. I am the door, and by me, if any man enter in, he said, they shall be saved. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.